Section 25 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Street Buyers of Hogswash The trade in hogswash, or in the refuse of the table, is by no means insignificant. The street buyers are of the costermonger class, and some of them have been costermongers and when not kept going regular on wash, I was told, are costers still, but with the advantage of having donkeys, ponies, or horses, and carts, and frequently shops, as the majority of the wash buyers have, for they are often greengrocers as well as costermongers. The hog's food obtained by these street folk, or, as I most frequently heard it called, the wash, is procured from the eating houses, the coffee-houses, which are also eating-houses, with, quote, hot joints from twelve to four, end quote, the hotels, the club-houses, the larger mansions, and the public institutions. It is composed of the scum and lees of all broths and soups, of the washings of cooking-utensils, and of the dishes and plates used at dinners and suppers of small pieces of meat left on the plates of the diners in taverns, clubs, or cook-shops, of pieces of potato or any remains of vegetables, of any viands such as puddings left in the plates in the same manner, of gristle, of pieces of stale bread or bread left at table, occasionally of meat kept, whether cooked or uncooked, until blown and unfit for consumption. One man told me that he had found whole legs of mutton in the wash he bought from a great eating-house, but very rarely, of potato-peelings, of old and bad potatoes, of stock or the remains of meat stewed for soup, which was not good enough for sale to be reused by the poor, of pairings of every kind of cheese or meat, and of the many things which are considered only fit for pigs. It is not always, however, that the unconsumed food of great houses or of public bodies, where the dinners are a part of the institution, goes to the wash-tub. At Buckingham Palace, I am told, it is given to poor people who have tickets for the receipt of it. At Lincoln's Inn, the refuse or leavings of the bar dinners are sold to men who retail them, usually small chandlers, and the poor people who have the means buy this broken meat very readily at fourpence, sixpence, and eightpence the pound, which is cheap for good cooked meat. Pie crust, obtained by its purveyors in the same way, is sold, perhaps with a small portion of the contents of the pie, in penny and tuppennyworths. A man familiar with this trade told me that among the best customers for this kind of second-hand food were women of the town, of the poorer class, who were always ready, whenever they had a few pence at command, to buy what was tasty, cheap, and ready-cooked, because, quote, they hadn't no trouble with it, but only just to eat it, end quote. One of the principal sources of the wash supply is the cook-shops or eating-houses, where the leavings on the plates are either the perquisites of the waiters or waitresses, or looked sharply after by master or mistress. There are also in these places the remains of soups, and the potato peelings and so on, of which I have spoken, together with the keen appropriation to a profitable use of every crumb and scrap, 
when it is a portion of the gains of a servant, or when it adds to the receipts of the proprietor. In calculating the purchase value of the goodwill of an eating-house, the wash is as carefully considered as is the number of daily guests. One of the principal street-buyers from the eating-houses, and in several parts of town, is Jemmy Devine of Lambeth. He is a pig-dealer, but also sells his wash to others who keep pigs. He sends round a cart and horse under the care of a boy, or of a man whom he may have employed, or drives it himself, and he often has more carts than one. In his cart are two or three tubs, well secured, so that they may not be jostled out, into which the wash is deposited. He contracts by the week, month or quarter with hotel keepers and others for their wash, paying from £10 to as high as £50 a year, about £20 being an average for well-frequented taverns and dining rooms. The wash tubs on the premises of these buyers are often offensive, sometimes sending forth very sour smells. In Sharp's Alley, Smithfield, is another man buying quantities of wash, and buying fat and grease extensively. There is one also in Prince's Street, Lambeth, who makes it his sole business to collect hogs wash. He was formerly a coal heaver and wretchedly poor, but is now able to make a decent living in this trade, keeping a pony and cart. He generally keeps about 30 pigs but also sells hogs food retail to any pig-keeper, the price being fourpence to sixpence a pailful, according to the quality, as the collectors are always anxious to have the wash rich, and will not buy it if cabbage leaves or the parings of green vegetables form a part of it. This man and the others often employ lads to go round for wash, paying them two shillings a week, and finding them in board, they are the same class of boys as those I have described as coster boys, and are often strong young fellows. These lads, or men hired for the purpose, are sometimes sent round to the smaller cook-shops and to private houses, where the wash is given to them for the trouble of carrying it away, in preference to its being thrown down the drain. Sometimes only a penny a pail is paid by the street buyer, provided the stuff be taken away punctually and regularly. These youths, or men, carry pails after the fashion of a milkman. The supply from the workhouses is very large. It is often that the paupers do not eat all the rice pudding allowed, or all the bread, while soup is frequently left, and potatoes, and these leavings are worthless except for pig meat, as they would soon turn sour. It is the same, though not to the same extent, in the prisons. What I have said of some of the larger eating-houses relates also to the club-houses. There are a number of wash-buyers in the suburbs who purchase or obtain their stock gratuitously at gentlemen's houses and retail it either to those who feed pigs as a business or else to the many, I was told, who live a little way out of town and, quote, like to grow their own bacon, end quote. Many of these men perform the work themselves without a horse and cart, and are on their feet every day and all day long, except on Sundays, carrying hogs wash from the cellar or to the buyer. One man who had been in this trade at Woolwich told me that he kept pigs at one time, but ceased to do so, as his customers often murmured at the thin quality of the wash, 
declaring that he gave all the best to his own animals. If it be estimated that there are 200 men daily buying hogswash in London and the suburbs, within 15 miles, and that each collects only 20 pails per day, paying tuppence per pail, thus allowing for what is collected without purchase, we find £10,400 expended annually in buying hogswash. Of the street buyers of tea leaves, an extensive trade, but less extensive, I am informed, than it was a few years ago, is carried on in tea leaves, or in the leaves of the herb after their having been subjected in the usual way to decoction. These leaves are, so to speak, remanufactured, in spite of great risk and frequent exposure, and in defiance of the law. The 17th George III, C29, is positive and stringent on the subject. Quote, every person, whether a dealer in or seller of tea or not, who shall dye or fabricate any slow leaves, licorice leaves, or the leaves of tea that have been used, or the leaves of the ash, elder, or other tree, shrub, or plant, in imitation of tea, or who shall mix or colour such leaves with terra japonica, copperas, sugar, molasses, clay, logwood, or other ingredient, or who shall sell or expose to sale, or have in custody, any such adulterations in imitation of tea, shall for every pound forfeit on conviction, by the oath of one witness, before one justice, five pounds, or on non-payment be committed to the house of correction for not more than twelve or less than six months. End quote. The same act also authorises a magistrate on the oath of an excise officer or anyone by whom he suspects this illicit trade to be carried on to seize the herbs or spurious teas and the whole apparatus that may be found on the premises, the herbs to be burnt and the other articles sold, the proceeds of such a sale after the payment of expenses going half to the informer and half to the poor of the parish. It appears evident from the words of this act which I have italicised. Readers note, those words are, quote, or the leaves of tea that have been used, end quote. That the use of tea leaves for the robbery of the public and the defrauding of the revenue has been long in practice. The extract also shows what other cheats were formerly resorted to, the substitutes most popular with the tea manufacturers at one time being slow leaves. If, however, one-tenth of the statements touching the applications of the leaves of the slow tree and of the juice of its sour astringent fruit during the wartime had any foundation in truth, the slow must have been regarded commercially as one of the most valuable of our native productions, supplying our ladies with their tea and our gentlemen with their port wine. Women and men, three-fourths of the number being women, go about buying tea leaves of the female servants in the larger and of the shopkeeper's wives in the smaller houses. But the great purveyors of these things are the charwomen. In the houses where they char, the tea leaves are often reserved for them to be thrown on the carpets when swept as a means of allaying the dust or else they form a part of their perquisites, and are often asked for, if not offered. 
The mistress of a coffee-shop told me that her charwoman, employed in cleaning every other morning, had the tea-leaves as a part of her remuneration, or as a matter of course. What the charwoman did with them her employer never inquired, although she was always anxious to obtain them, and she referred me to the poor woman in question. I found her in a very clean apartment on the second floor of a decent house in Somerstown, a strong hale woman with what may be called an industrious look. She was middle-aged and a widow with one daughter, then a nursemaid in the neighbourhood, and had regular employment. Yes, she said, I get the tea leaves whenever I can, and the most at two coffee shops that I work at, but neither of them have so many as they used to have. I think it's because cocos come so much to be asked for in them, and so they sell less tea. I buy tea leaves only at one place. It's a very large family, and I give the servant fourpence, and sometimes threepence or twopence a fortnight for them. But I'm nothing in pocket, for the young girl is a bit of a relation of mine, and it's like a trifle of pocket money for her. She gives a penny every time she goes to her chapel, and so do I. There's a box for it fixed near the door. Oh yes, her mistress knows I buy them, for her mistress knew me before she was married, and that's about fifteen or sixteen years since. When I've got this basin, note producing it, end note, full, I sell it, generally for fourpence. I don't know what the leaves in it will weigh, and I have never sold them by weight, but I believe some have. Perhaps they might weigh, as damp as some of them are, about a pound. I sell them to a chandler now. I have sold them to a rag and bottle shop. I've had men and women call upon me and offer to buy them, but not lately, and I never liked the looks of them, and never sold them any. I don't know what they're wanted for, but I've heard that they're mixed with new tea. I have nothing to do with that. I get them honestly and sell them honestly, and that's all I can say about it. Every little helps, and if rich people won't pay poor people properly, then poor people can't be expected to be very nice. But I don't complain, and that's all I know about it. End quote. The chandler in question knew nothing of the trade in tea leaves, he said. He bought none, and he did not know that any of the shopkeepers did and he could not form a notion what they could be wanted for, if it wasn't to sweep carpets. This mode of buying or collecting is, I am told, the commonest mode of any, and it certainly presents some peculiarities. The leaves which are to form the spurious tea are collected in great measure by a class who are perhaps more likely than any other to have themselves to buy and drink the stuff which they have helped to produce by charwomen and washerwomen a nice cup of tea in the afternoon during their work is generally classed among the comforts of existence yet they are the very persons who sell the tea leaves which are to make their much prized beverage it is curious to reflect also that as tea leaves are used indiscriminately for being remade into what is considered new tea what must be the strength of our tea in a few years now all housewives complain that twice the quantity of tea is required to make the infusion of the same strength as formerly, and if the collection of old tea leaves continues, and the refuse leaves are to be dried and re-dried perpetually, surely we must get to use pounds where we now do ounces. A man formerly in the tea-leaf business, and very anxious not to be known, 
but upon whose information I am assured from a respectable source full reliance may be placed, gave me the following account. Quote, my father kept a little shop in the general line, and I helped him, so I was partly brought up to the small way. But I was adrift by myself when I was quite young, eighteen or so perhaps. I can read and write well enough, but I was rather of too gay a turn to be steady. Besides, father was very poor at times, and could seldom pay me anything if I worked ever so. He was very fond of his belly too, and I've known him when he's had a bit of luck, or a run of business, go and stuff hisself with fat roast pork at a cook-shop till he could hardly waddle, and then come home and lock hisself upstairs in his bedroom and sleep three parts of the afternoon. My mother was dead. But father was a kind-hearted man for all that, and for all his roast pork was as thin as a whipping-post. I kept myself when I left him, just off and on like, by collecting grease and all that. It can't be done so easy now, I fancy. So I got into the tea-leaf business, but father had nothing to do with it. An elderly sort of woman who I met with in my collecting, and who seemed to take a sort of fancy to me, put me up to the leaves. She was an out-and-out -out hand at anything that way herself. Then I bought tea-leaves with other things, for I suppose for four or five years. How long ago is it? Oh, never mind, sir, a few years. I bought them at many sorts of houses, and carried a box of needles and odds and ends, as a sort of introduction. There wasn't much of that wanted, though, for I called when I could, soon in the mornings, before the family was up, and some ladies don't get up till ten or eleven, you know. The masters wasn't much, it was the mistresses I cared about, because they are often such tartars to the maids, and always a-poking in the way. I've tried to do business in the great lord's houses, in the squares and about the parks, but there was mostly somebody about there to hinder you. Besides, the servants in such places are often on board wages, and often, when they're not on board wages, find their own tea and sugar, and little of the tea leaves is saved when everyone has a separate pot of tea, so there's no good to be done there. Large houses in trade where a number of young men is boarded, drapers or grocers, is among the best places, as there is often a housekeeper there to deal with, and no mistress to bother. I always bought by the lot. If you offered to weigh, you would not be able to clear anything, as they'd be sure to give the leaves an extra wetting. I put handfuls of the leaves to my nose, and could tell from the smell whether they were hard-drawn or not. When they isn't hard-drawn, they answer best, and them I put to one side. I had a bag like a lawyer's blue bag, with three divisions in it, to put my leaves into, and so keep them sunder. Yes, I've bought of charwomen, but somehow I think they didn't much admire selling to me. I hardly know how I made them out, but one told me of another. They like the shops better for their leaves, I think, because they can get a bit of cheese or snuff or candles for them there, though I don't know much about the shop work in this line. I've often been tried to be took in by the servants. I've found leaves in the lot offered to me to buy what was all dusty and had been used for sweeping, and if I'd sold them with my stock, they'd have been stopped out of the next money. I've had tea leaves given me by servants oft enough, for I used to sweetheart them a bit, just to get over them, and they've laughed and asked me whatever I could want with them. As for price, why, I judged what a lot was worth, and gave accordingly, 
from a penny to a shilling. I never gave more than a shilling for any one lot at a time, and that had been put to one side for me in a large concern, for about a fortnight, I suppose. I can't say how many people had been teed on them. If it was a housekeeper, or anybody that way, that I bought off, there was never anything said about what they was wanted for. What did I want them for? Why, to sell again. And though him as I sold them to never said so, I knew they was to dry over again. I know nothing about who he was, or where he lived. The woman I told you of sent him to me. I suppose I cleared about ten shillings a week on them, and did a little in other things beside. Perhaps I cleared rather more than ten shillings on leaves some weeks, and five shillings at others. The party as called upon me once a week to buy my leaves was a very polite man, and seemed quite the gentleman. There was no weighing. He examined the lot and said, so much. He wouldn't stand baiting, or be kept haggling, and his money was down and no nonsense. What cost me five shillings, I very likely got three half-crowns for. It was no great trade, if you consider the trouble. I've sometimes carried the leaves that he'd packed in papers and put into a carpet-bag, where there was others, to a coffee-shop. They always had till called for, marked on a card then. I asked no questions, but just left them. There was two and sometimes four boys as used to bring me leaves on Saturday nights. I think they was charwomen's sons, but I don't know for a positive, and I don't know how they made me out. I think I was one of the tip-tops of the trade at one time. Some weeks I've laid out a sov, note sovereign, end note, in leaves. I haven't a notion how many's in the line, or what's doing now, but much the same, I've no doubt. I'm glad I've done with it. End quote. I am told by those who are as well informed on the subject as is perhaps possible, when a surreptitious and dishonest traffic is the subject of inquiry, that less spurious tea is sold. There are more makers of it. Two of the principal manufacturers have of late, however, been prevented carrying on the business by the intervention of the excise officers. The spurious tea men are also the buyers of wrecked tea, that is, of tea which has been part of the salvage of a wrecked vessel and is damaged or spoiled entirely by the salt water. This is re-dried and dyed so as to appear fresh and new. It is dyed with Prussian blue, which gives it what an extensive tea dealer described to me as an intensely fine green. It is then mixed with the commonest gunpowder teas and with the strongest young hysons, and has always a kind of metallic taste, somewhat like that of a copper vessel after friction in its cleaning. These teas are usually sold at four shillings a pound. Slow leaves for spurious tea, as I have before stated, were in extensive use, but this manufacture ceased, but this manufacture ceased to exist about twenty years ago. Now the spurious material consists only of the old tea leaves, at least so far as experienced tradesmen know. The adulteration is, however, I am assured, more skilfully conducted than it used to be, and its staple is of far easier procuration. The law, though it makes the use of old tea leaves, as components of what is called tea, punishable, is nevertheless silent as to their sale or purchase. They can be collected, therefore, with a comparative impunity. The tea leaves are dried, 
dyed or re-dyed, and shrivelled on plates of hot metal, carefully tended. The dyes used are those I have mentioned. These teas, when mixed, are hawked in the country, but not in town, and are sold to the hawkers at seven pounds of weight, for twenty-one shillings. The quarters of pounds are retailed at a shilling. A tea dealer told me that he could recognise this adulterated commodity, but it was only a person skilled in teas who could do so, by its coarse look. For green tea, the mixture to which the prepared leaves are mostly devoted, the old tea is blended with the commonest gunpowders and hysons. No dye, I am told, is required when black tea is thus remade. But I know that plumbago is often used to simulate the bloom. The inferior shopkeepers sell this adulterated tea, especially in neighbourhoods where the poor Irish congregate, or any of the lowest class of the poor English. To obtain the statistics of a trade which exists in spite not only of the vigilance of the excise and police officers, but of public reprobation, and which is essentially a secret trade, is not possible. I heard some, who were likely to be well informed, conjecture, for it cannot honestly be called more than a conjecture, that between five hundred and a thousand pounds, perhaps seven hundred pounds of old tea-leaves in weight, were made up weekly in London, but of this he thought that about an eighth was spoiled by burning in the process of drying. Another gentleman, however, thought that, at the very least, double the above quantity of old tea-leaves was weekly manufactured into new tea. According to his estimate, and he was no mean authority, no less than £1,500 in weight weekly, or £78,000 weekly per annum of this trash, are yearly poured into the London market. The average consumption of tea is about a pound and a quarter per annum for each man, woman or child in the kingdom, coffee being the principal unfermented beverage of the poor. Those, however, of the poorest who drink tea consume about two ounces per week, half an ounce serving them twice, or one pound in the course of every two months. This makes the annual consumption of the adult tea-drinking poor amount to six pounds, and it is upon this class the spurious tea is chiefly foisted. End of section 25